Our Father, we ask that right now, God, the Holy Spirit, will open up our minds and our hearts towards you, that we may hear you speak, and that you give us the grace to um, set our wills on obedience towards you because of what you have done through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, in heaven, or the new creation, there will be no fasting. Somebody is very happy. There will only be feasting. No fasting. There will only be eating. Now, someone has sung a song. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a popular song in um, Ghanaian music culture that says that in heaven there is no beer. That is why we drink all the beer in this world. Of course, it's true. In heaven, there will be not that kind of beer. There will be real good food. The best food, perfect food. Not the ones we have grown with chemicals and all kinds, even when we call them organic. They are not really organic. No, there wouldn't be any of these things in heaven. There will be feasting over the choicest of food, the most delicious food. Now, if you read the passage that Tina helpfully read for us, if you read it a little bit before, we are given a little tiny glimpse, picture, of this kind of feasting that will take place. And it took place in Matthew's house. Matthew here in Luke is called Levi. But actually, in Matthew's gospel, he is Matthew, the one who wrote Matthew. And his profession was, he was a tax collector. And in those days, tax collectors, nobody likes them especially among the Jews. They were taking money from God's people for those who were oppressing them. Not only that, they were also aligning their own pockets by taking extra. So they were wealthy people and they were regarded by the religious society as sinners. You as a sinner because of what you're doing. And in Matthew's house, what do we see happening? If you look at from verse 27 downwards, there is feasting going on. There is feasting going on because Jesus is there. Jesus is sitting with a bunch of tax collectors. Of course, Matthew is tax collector, so he invites other people in. And they were eating together and having a laugh and drinking. What is going on here? What is going on is this. The reason they are feasting is because Jesus, the the expected king, the Messiah, has come. And he has come to call sinners to repentance so that they will be reconciled with God. When that happens, you know what follows? Party. Rejoicing. Drinking and eating and fellowship. That is the idea. Real fellowship with Jesus himself. And then the Pharisees come along. They have two main problems with Jesus. The first one is this. He is having fellowship with sinners. He is eating with tax collectors. That's unbelievable. And then the second one, so the first problem is in verse 30. The second problem they have is in verse 33. And it's, a, it's something the Pharisees observed. The disciples of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, they fasted. We, the Pharisees, we also fast. Your disciples are not fasting. What is going on here? What is really going on here? And then Jesus gives an answer to that. 
His answer is basically this. If you would, you would uh, please look at it the way he answers it. Verse 34 is where the, um, the answer is. Can you make the wedding guests, those who have come for the wedding, can you make them fast while the bridegroom is with them is the question. Can you make them fast? Now that word for fast is mourn. Can you make them mourn while the bridegroom is with them? Now think about it. A wedding here. I mean, when we hosted a wedding here, it was wild. People danced and danced and so on. And after that, they went to eat because the groom and the bride were here. So should we mourn while they are here? The answer is no, not at all. Now, when you look at Jesus' response, what is the link? Eh? What is the link between the bridegroom's physical presence and the idea of fasting or feasting? What is the link? What is going on between the two? The answer is quite simple. They wouldn't fast because the bridegroom, the bridegroom referring to himself, the Lord Jesus, is physically present, physically with them. What is the point of fasting? The point of fasting is a longing, isn't it? A longing for God to come and act. Now, God is in their midst. God has come into their midst. Why should they fast? It doesn't just make sense. And then Jesus says, but they will fast. One day, the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. Why will they fast when the bridegroom is taken away from them? The answer is longing. The answer is that the bride and the guests, they will be longing, they will be longing, they will be craving the return of the bridegroom. They know what it means to be with him. And so there will be deep longing. And I will explain a bit in the next moment. They will miss the physical presence of the bridegroom and then they will long for him to be with him and to enjoy him. Fasting, seen rightly, is actually about longing. It is about longing. I'm longing to see you when somebody has gone away. Let's say those of you who are married, your wife or your um, fiancé or girlfriend, whoever, or a brother or a sister, somebody you love, and you speak with them on phone or on WhatsApp, whatever, WhatsApp video, and though you are seeing them, it's not the same as having them around you. And so you are longing to see them. You tell them that, oh, I can't wait to see your face again. But you are seeing my face on video. But I can't wait to see you physically. There is a longing and an anticipation, a craving for the return, the physical return. Now, fasting and prayer, before we come to us, forget about us for a moment. Fasting and prayer is not only an expression of the longing for God. It's not only that. But the act of fasting and prayer itself deepens that longing. The more people crave and, and, and sort of fast and pray, and I'll explain, fast and pray and, and long for God and yearn for him and they miss God, the more that longing deepens in this world. So it is not only an expression of the longing we have. When we engage in that and they are in deep study of his word and prayer and fellowship, that longing begins to deepen. You want to drink more. You want to drink more. You want to drink as much as... So as we pray, that longing for God deepens. We long for him to come and deal with our loneliness. We long for him to come and deal with our loss and our failure. 
our deepest needs, our inability to experience breakthroughs in difficulties that we face in this life. Something tells us that when Jesus comes, everything is going to be fine. It's point, it points to that big picture. Now think about this. Why do we eat bread? Bread symbolizing food. So don't say that, ah, I don't like bread. Bread as a symbol of food. Why do we eat it? It is because hunger and eating food actually help us to understand fasting. The, the reason for fasting and prayer. We eat because we want to be satisfied, isn't it? When I'm hungry and we close from church, I want to eat and have a bit of brewed coffee and drink it and be satisfied and sit in a cool place and reflect. And then I am happier. We eat because we want to be satisfied. We want that kind of hunger to be met. When we feed on the bread of life, the Lord Jesus, what we are saying is that we want the deepest, more than any food can satisfy, the deepest hunger and longing of our soul to be satisfied. That is what we crave. And say, so let's say if you are unhappy, you can eat as much chocolate and as much food or whatever it is. You will only increase in size, but you will not be happier. Oh, but the bread of life, when we are hungry for him and we feed on him and we feed on him and we feed on him. That's why God created hunger and eating. In fact, after the fall, whatever you conceive of it, there is hunger and eating. Because hunger and eating is not opposed to fasting and prayer. It is actually helping us to understand fasting and prayer. When we are hungry for something. When we are hungry for God. And so when you intentionally engage in prayer and fasting, you are saying that just as my body longs for physical food to eat and be satisfied by it, so my soul is hungry for the bread of life, the Lord Jesus. And I want him to come to me. I want to feed on him that my soul will be satisfied in him and through him. But Christians are not the only people who fast and pray. Muslims fast. In fact, Orthodox Jews fast. And there are some religions of this world who also fast. So let's not kid ourselves. What is special then about Christian fasting, what I call gospel fasting. What, what is special, fasting and prayer? What, what is really special? What is going on? Let me tell you what is going on. Look at verse 36. Verse 36, the Lord Jesus tells them a parable. And the parable goes like this. He's responding. What is really special about Christian fasting? And he said, this is what is special about Christian fasting. You, do not, you don't take a piece of new cloth, new garments, yeah, to and then you cut a piece of it, and then you have an old piece of cloth torn somewhere, and then you go and patch it on it. You can do that, but when you do that, this is what happens. Those of you who are into fashion, you have distorted the new cloth and its design, but also it doesn't match with the old one. Now, when we were in primary school, if... <laughs> If you came from the background 
where I come from. Where you wear your school shorts, it was khaki, right? And then that is the only one you have. You've been sitting in classroom for so long, like we've sat this morning. And then the two places where, if I may say so, your bottom is begin to wear off. And then when it wears off, you cut a khaki that is newer. And then you get a, a tailor or a seamstress or whoever, and then they patch it there. I don't want to describe it vividly because you say, why are you being too graphic? Because it's on the two sides of, so to speak, your backside. It's there. And then when you go to school, other children who do not have the problem, those of you who don't understand God, don't worry. They sing and they follow you. Apache, Apache, noko pete, kaya, dunako. Don't worry about what it means because it's not nice, but it's not vulgar as well. What they are saying to you is that you have destroyed a new khaki and it's not even marching. Look at your bottom as you walk. And then school children, Ghanaians do that. I don't know why they do that. They just follow you and sing in the middle of the streets and they embarrass you. Jesus is saying, yeah, they are right. Because if you take a new cloth and you patch it on an old one, you distort it, it doesn't match. The same thing has to do with wine. You don't take um, new wine which is fermenting and expanding, and then you take an old wine skin. They would have put their wine in a, in a wine skin from animal's um, hide. And then you pour it into it, and it's fermenting, it's expanding, it has gas, and then it bursts. The wine, the new wine, the fresh wine, precious thing is spilled. And then the old wine skin is also destroyed. Fresh wine is for fresh wine skin. What is he talking about in old and new? Let me tell you about the old that the Lord Jesus is talking about, which is bigger than fasting, actually. But he takes the opportunity. The old religion, the old religiosity, the religiosity of the Pharisees, the way they view relationship with God, that cannot go along with the new that has appeared, which I'll mention in a minute. But if you think of it, the Pharisees are standing there and accusing and pointing finger, and he's telling them that your old way of thinking you can relate with God, you cannot. In the Old Testament, this is what happens. People were fasting, and they fasted in instances, sometimes when there's crisis, like in Ezra and Esther. If you read the book of Esther, go and fast, fast three days. When there's crisis, they will fast and seek God. Or when sinners are responding to God's message of judgment, then they fast, like you have in Jonah, in Nineveh, where they really fasted. Even animals were made to fast. But when you read the Old Testament, the most significant thing of the connection is that there is a connection between fasting and mourning. As you are not just crying, you are mourning over the loss of someone or something precious. There is always that connection. So when Jesus says that, do you expect the guest of the wedding to mourn when the bridegroom is with them? No, you don't expect that. So there is that connection. And then later, in Jesus' day, in Judaism, fasting became a more regular thing. I think it's on Mondays and Thursdays. They were fasting. The Pharisees were fasting. And it had become part of their religion so much that it had become self-centered. 
It's all about them. In fact, it's not new to the Pharisees. In Isaiah, they did the same thing. God says, away with your fasting and actually live out the gospel. First, I don't want to see any sort of religious exercise. That is exactly what is going on here. Self-centered, trying to prove themselves to God that they are something and to one another. So the old that he's talking about is, it has become a means of earning, earning something from God. To them, these religious practices is earning your way with God and your way to God. How do you know that? You know that, for example, in Luke 18, when the Pharisee went, goes into the temple to pray, he says basically this, God, I thank you that I do my religious duties like fasting twice a week. And because of that, I am better compared to others. And then he points to the tax collector who was also praying and beating his chest. And so, in, um, by implication, this is what he's saying. God, consider me um, before you on the basis of my fasting and other religious commitment. I pay my tithes. I do all these things. So please consider me. Fasting had become about them and not about God. Fasting is about God and his glory, really. And what do I mean by that? Any form of Spiritual discipline is really not about how we earn something from God or prove something to God. If fasting and prayer is about earning something from God, proving yourself to God in relation to others, fasting and prayer will destroy you. God, respond to me, respond to me, do something for me on the basis of how hard I'm beating myself without water and food. That's the old. This and the new cannot go together. What is the new? The new is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And here is the gospel. God responds to those who come like sick people needing healing from a doctor. God responds to them in his mercy and forgiveness. The new is that Jesus has come so that sinners can come to him through repentance and faith. And that was what was happening in Levi's house. The sinners had gathered through repentance and faith. Levi later will write the gospel of Matthew for us. The gospel is that the bridegroom has come so that now sinners can come home. They can return to the Lord. Put it another way, the new is that you don't have to earn God's favor, you receive it by faith. You don't have to earn it because you can't earn it. You receive it. It's been offered to you, you receive it by faith in Jesus who came and died for enemies, rebels like me, for sinners. Now that is a good news. Now you can be reconciled with God and have fellowship with him. And then this is what happens with gospel fasting. When you turn to Jesus by faith, and you turn from the sin of trying to earn your own way to God, trying hard to earn favor with God and salvation from him, when you turn and you come to him, you begin to have real satisfaction in Jesus in this life. It is this real satisfaction that you experience that you long for more. You long for more. You long for him. 
You long for Jesus because your satisfaction is in him when you embrace the gospel, when you embrace the good news and you turn from trying self-made religion, trying hard to please God, trying hard to earn his favor, and you realize I cannot. Only Jesus can, and therefore I give my life to him. Dear Jesus, I believe that you have earned the favor on my behalf. When you do that by the Holy Spirit, you begin to enjoy a tiny glimpse of this feasting with Jesus, this fellowship. And when you do, the more you experience it, the more you long for more. Fasting becomes that spiritual discipline within scripture that you can set aside from time to time and immerse yourself into this longing, not only for just breakthroughs, but for the person that in him we have all breakthroughs. The ultimate brain breakthrough over the barriers of death and sin. That is gospel fasting. Nowhere else in any religion. Fasting is something that we have experienced that we are actually invited by the Spirit to drink more. You would have thought that you eat a certain bowl of some food and then you are satisfied. I've had enough. I've had enough. This one, for some reason, is the opposite. The more you eat and drink of him, the more you long for more. And sometimes it's so deep that you don't even want to eat actual food. When you are enjoying this time alone with the Lord Jesus and he's opening your word to see the depth of the gospel through the scriptures and the spirit is filling your heart, it's as if he is physically present with you. Though he's not physically present, he's spiritually present by his spirit. You long for more. Sometimes you even forget that it's lunchtime because you're reading the scriptures. So gospel fasting is this. Gospel fasting is this. It is knowing that I am loved by God, accepted by him, forgiven by him because Jesus died for me and was raised from the dead for me to give me a new life. Now I have fellowship with God and I long for more of that reality until finally Jesus appears physically. And Jesus gives me his warm embrace and I tell him that I missed you. I missed you. I long for Jesus and all the benefits in him. Come, Lord Jesus. That becomes our prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, and let your presence dispel the forces of darkness. I long for you that your presence will dispel, move the forces of darkness. I long for you. Come, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, and let the darkness over our city be lifted. We long for you. It is only by your coming. We long for Jesus to come so that all the barriers of sin and difficulties are broken through. We long for him to come, that his presence will restore our ailing and weak bodies. Uh, fasting and prayer in the gospel sense, in the light of the gospel, becomes that for us. This gospel that I've tried to um, explain a little bit, frees you and deepens your longing, frees you from thinking and conceiving of any spiritual discipline, not only fasting and prayer, as a way to make your way to God and end something and have your way and see, Lord, look at me. It frees you from that, and at the same time, it deepens your longing for satisfaction in Jesus. 
Your fasting, actually, you know what it will do? Let me tell you one of the things that it will do. It doesn't, but then, somehow, God in his mercy and grace, as we fast and pray corporately, individually, as families, he pours out himself onto our longing. He doesn't just live, he satisfies it, just that the longing doesn't go away until we see him face to face. He comes, the Lord Jesus comes, and when he comes, mighty things happen. That is why, when you look at the acts and the history of the church, and even presently in some of our experiences, when we are particularly fasting and praying corporately, sometimes incredible things that we never imagined happen. Why do you think that is that? It's not so much about the words of our prayer as such, as much important as that is. It is that the Lord is manifesting his presence among us. He is with his church. And he's decided to flip his finger. And things are happening. It is him we long for. And when you have him, all the benefits in him begin to follow. So as I finish off, let me read something. I've been reading John Piper's book. If you don't have it, grab it. A Hunger for God. Where he talks about desiring God through fasting and prayer. I've been influenced immensely by this Pastor John. Fasting can deepen hunger for God. Now, he is quoting from uh, Mighty Prevailing Prayer, a book. Fasting can deepen hunger for God to work. Spiritual hunger and fasting have a reciprocal power. Each deepens and strengthens the other. Each makes the other more effective. When your spiritual hunger becomes very deep, you may even lose the desire for food. All of the most intense forms of prevailing prayer can be deepened, clarified, and greatly empowered by fasting. Fasting is natural when you are burdened sufficiently, wrestling with mighty prevailing and warring in hand-to-hand -hand conflict with Satan and his power of darkness. Fasting becomes sweet and blessed as your hunger reaches out to God. Your hunger gains tremendous power as you fast and pray, particularly if you set apart time from all else to give yourself to fasting and prayer, it becomes a spiritual joy to fast. And that is why the coming couple of weeks we say we want to set aside that not just as a religious culture. Churches in Ghana, they fast at the beginning of the year. That's why we do it. No. The timing is just good for us. We plug into that culture and we use it well. So the next two is going to long in, a, in an intentional way. Dear Lord Jesus, come. Come with all your benefits and move mightily in our midst, over our lives, over our church, and over our city. And so let me finish up with some practicalities. So during this church prayer and fasting, please, I humbly counsel you to consider these things and do them if you can. Keep your mind on Jesus and the gospel and not primarily on your problems. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. All other things will fall into their proper places. So keep your mind on Jesus. By all means, bring your problems to him. But keep the main thing the main thing. But don't think that you are sinning when you bring your problems to him. He understands. He understands that we are often so easily distracted. Number two, read more of his word. However you conceive of it, you will not. We do not encounter God apart from his word. 
Otherwise, we will encounter Satan and get confused that it's God. Soak yourself in God's word. Read it. Set aside time. Read it. Listen to it if you have audio, Bible. And uh, can I encourage you, for those of you who are big on social media, can you fast on social media a little bit? And said, I'm not saying you shouldn't go on social media, but can you decide that you're going to reduce your time on Facebook, Instagram, and all these places that keep you awake? And anytime you feel like going on social media, pick your Bible and read. Or phone a brother or a sister and share a portion of scripture. And I know that for some of you, for health reasons, it may be wiser not to engage in that kind of rigorous fasting. But I tell you what, it's not just food. Fast on social media as well. Another thing that so take your attention from the Lord. Uh, or movies, or um, Nigerian movies. People like it, watch it, and watch the series and all that. They can tell you which episode is happening where. Can you in the next two weeks temper with that for the sake of craving for Jesus? Now, when you feel hungry, may, may, may that craving for food remind you of your craving for God. Whether or not you decide to eat, I won't prescribe it for you. But what I want to encourage you is to trust the Lord if you decide to engage in it and push yourself just a little bit. And if you are married and your spouse is home, uh, why don't you just get together um, and, and read it? That, that in itself may solve a few problems. Or if he's at work, send him a WhatsApp message of a scripture you're reading that hits you or you're at work, whatever that may be. Can I ask you to drink a lot of water? Drink a lot of fluid. Don't don't go crazy and say that, oh, we're going dry. As for me, I'm going dry. Please don't go dry in Hamatan, okay? The angels will understand. Drink a lot of fluid. Drink a lot of fluid. It gives you even physical health benefits um, as a result. Go as far as your circumstances allow you. If you are engaged in rigorous work, that makes you sweat like this or whatever it is. I, wonder, I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom as to how you actually pattern yourself so you don't end up doing some harm to yourself. The Lord gives us wisdom. That is also the work of the Spirit. So ask him for wisdom to engage in that. Don't press forward in this prayer and fasting out of guilt. Oh, I forgot. And I chopped some oats this morning. Oh, God, it's all spoiled. Please carry on praying <laughs> and longing for the Lord. Okay? Um, anyway, um, so don't press forward out of guilt and thinking that by it you will be heard by God. God will hear us, but he will hear us because he's merciful. And prayer and fasting creates an opportunity for us to dive deep into him. The Holy Spirit will cause you to experience something of his presence as you pray and read his word. So pray, read his word as much as you can. And uh, may the Spirit guard our hearts and help us. Join the church prayer. So the prayer is going to be 5 a.m. to um, um, 5.30 a.m. in the morning, online. It will be on the platform. We go straight to the point, pray for 30 minutes. Everybody goes to work. And then in the evening from 6 to 7, we, the, as many as can will be here, but the rest of you can join on Zoom. And it's just one hour where we pray and, and uh, carry on like that. So brothers and sisters, let me pray for us and sit down.
Father, we need you as we embark on this journey corporately. We know that we will be at different levels and so on, health issues, whatever it is. Clear our conscience, clear our hearts by the work of your spirit. Help us to long for you, however that is going to manifest itself. Uh, protect us from temptations. Protect us from quarreling with our spouses, those of us who are married, so that Satan uses that to accuse us and to spoil everything for us. Uh, protect us, Lord, from frustrations of all kinds. When Satan tries to get at us in that way, please protect us from every of his assaults. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.